0: Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that app. Well, I'm trying to work my way through Star Wars, and I'm going in order of release and whatnot. I might have to call it quits, man. I know I'm going to upset a lot of people, but I have not seen one so far, and I think I've watched five and a half. I have not watched one and just thought, dude, that was a good movie. (laughs) just, I mean, it wasn't even close. Like, it's It's fine. You know, it was enough to keep my attention. I didn't have to turn it off. But, I mean, it's just kind of like, yeah, all right. It, it feels like I'm watching the same one every single time. It's the same movie every time. There's this group of bad guys, and they're super powerful, and they're getting real pushy. And, you know, then you got the good guys, and they want to do something about it, and the Jedi have to help, and the bad guys are trying to get somebody, you know? First three episodes are trying to get Luke, and then the next two episodes, they're trying to get, princess amidala and then there's some kind of massively wildly unrealistic battle that takes place in which people just avoid getting shot even though a hundred thousand people are pointing their guns at somebody and just miss all the time and at some point you, jo- you blow up a giant spaceship and then the good guys win might blow up the death star yay it's over blow up the death star again yay it's over episode one anakin accidentally flies into some ship accidentally shoots his gun accidentally blows up some round thing which causes a chain reaction, which blows up the entire ship, which shuts everything down. Yay, we win! It's like, eh, okay, I guess. I mean, I I hate to say it because I know there's a lot of work that goes into it and everything, but like, how do you go so far as to actually spend that much time and energy into creating these other life forms with all their other all their languages? But when it comes to the actual content, it's just kind of like, yeah, I don't really care about that so much. Like, you you couldn't even map out, like, a battle scene that's interesting. (laughs) Like, it's cool that you'd, like, the background is cool. Like, you got the planets, the ecosystems, the creatures. But then the actual meat of it is like, yeah, I don't really want to put a lot of energy into this battle scene or anything. Like, yeah, they just, they shoot lasers back and forth at each other. The bad guys miss, and then the good guy turns around and he shoots six of them. And then he runs off, and that's how that scene happens. Like, um... Can we take five minutes and go over that for, for a second? Because I feel like we can kind of freshen that up a little bit. Oh, I know. What if we had, what's his name, just run at them? What do you mean? Like run, and then, and then the, uh, the bad guys are like, oh, no, and then they just run away. Mm, uh, probably, we could do something else. So, I don't know, man. It's just, it's, it's fine. And it's kind of just one of those things where it's like, it's, it's more of an accomplishment that I want to just go through all these videos or these movies whatever. But, um, it's, uh, it's, I don't know. I will, we'll see if I, if I can get through it. I don't know. I do like once we're out of those first three videos. It's funny cause everybody dogs episode one, like, oh, that's like the worst one. Like, I don't know, man. I saw the first three and then I saw the next one and it was significantly better. Maybe it's just because I care a lot more about the realism and the acting and whatnot, which significantly got better. The acting in episode one is a lot better than the ones from the 70s. And don't give me that, well, it's from the 70s nonsense. The Godfather was made in 1972. It's the greatest movie of all time. I've seen that movie probably five times. I would have no problem tomorrow watching it a sixth time because it's a very good movie. And the extras. Oh, ugh. The extras are so bad. And I, again, I thought it was like, well, in the 70s, you know, the extras. No, episode one, the extras are, are terrible. And it's so like over the ch- top cheesy. It's kind of like maybe it's supposed to be that way, but it just feels like bad acting. Like the Amidala and like the way she talks or like the fake Amidala. I don't know. Chancellor, you shall not come ta-, 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 ta. It's just just cool it. All right. It's weird. Why are you doing that? I don't know. I'm just saying I, I can't. I can't get into it. I don't know. I'm also holding out hope that as we get much later, like the more recent ones, it's going to get pretty cool. The graphics get better. The acting gets better. Maybe there's some ideas on how to make fight scenes even slightly real. The choreography with these lightsaber battles. Oh, my goodness. Horrible. Plus, they're just, they're not interesting. It's like, they're just like stalemates. Like, you know, I mean, is fencing fun to watch? No, it's not. It's really boring. But like the, the first three from the 70s, oh it's painful to watch like what are you doing and they hadn't mastered that cinematic thing where like they just shake the camera real fast to make it look like they don't suck at what they're doing they're just they just honing in that camera on this guy who doing terrible things so yeah it's it's been a not great experience but i I intend to forge ahead anyways but now that I've upset everybody I can't be alone in this somebody's got to back me up on this or at least tell me yeah it was bad but it, it gets better something I mean anything I don't know because if this episode ends with blowing up a spaceship, I don't know if I can, if I can keep going. I'm on episode two. Does it end with blowing up a spaceship? Just tell me the truth. I'm gonna be real mad. Anyways, we are 10 days away from the NFL draft. I'm, I'm giddy. It's, it's, it's. It's one of those things where you're so excited, but you're angry. Like, dude, 10 days is going to take forever. Like, I just want it to be tomorrow. And I want it to last just the next 10 days. And I want to just sit in this basement and lock the door and stream for 10 days straight and just talk about the draft and watch the draft and just get super excited. But instead, we can just sit here and speculate about it for the next 10 days. How's that sound? We'll start off with a question I got from uh, Mr. Josh Cornell. And um, I'm going to say he had two questions because he made a very specific comment in the beginning and then transition to a completely different question. So so we're going to take both questions. It sounds like he's entirely out on wide receiver. And his thought process, and I understand it sort of on some of the later round wide receivers. I don't know if I'm on the same page with some of the early guys, but the general thought is if we draft a wide receiver, even a Rashad Bateman or whoever, whoever your favorite realistic draft pick is for the Packers, it's still going to be somewhat of a waste of a pick because he's not going to be like... The number two. He's going to come in and be a rotational guy. As he puts it, Tay, MVS, Lazard are the three guys. Flip-flop, MVS, and Lazard, I don't care. We mostly play one wide, one or two wide receiver set. Even if we do pick a wide receiver, they'll be used more like a gadget player. I agree with that sentiment as far as we're talking about gadget players, right? I've talked a lot about how I like Tutu Atwell. I like, I, you know, I don't want him in the first or second round. Not sure it's necessarily a good value in the third, although that's probably when you have to take him. But the, the biggest reason is because he's largely just going to be a gadget player. It's Matt LaFleur getting that guy, that um that Tavon Austin, the guy that can probably help on special teams. You put him on the field on offense, and um, you know, he can do jets and he you know, he can run routes and do all that stuff, but he's strictly a gadget guy. He's not your number two. Now, as far as the Rashad Batemans, the K- Kadarius Tonys, the Terrace Marshalls, I think the idea is to be the number two. I I, I you know. I think you know my general stance on MVS. He's, you know, to me, he's kind of a role player. You could almost say he's a gadget, although that's not typically what you think of as a gadget, but he's a one-trick pony. Maybe once a game, he's going to get behind somebody and get that big 40-yard reception on average, right? I don't necessarily see him as as a super viable number two, and I, and I do think that he is... Replaceable. You find anybody that is a good deep threat that has one other trick up, up their sleeve, and he basically takes MVS's spot. Now, Lazard is the one that kind of, in my opinion, complicates things because as just a pure receiver, he's decent and I think is replaceable. Not saying we have to replace him or he's bad or anything like that, but you could definitely upgrade the spot. You know, I've mentioned a lot of it's, it's few and far between to find teams that have legit ones and twos, but there are teams. Right, Calvin Ridley for the Falcons is a real solid wide receiver. It is possible to find like really, really good guys that on some teams could be number ones. Obviously, I guess at this point it would be Adam Thielen, which is weird to say. (laughs) Rookie took the number one spot, but he clearly did. But Thielen is a very good wide receiver, so it's, it's it's entirely possible to go out and get a Rashad Bateman that's just heads and tails better. The only complicating factor is how much help Lazard brings to the with his blocking ability. And so it's kind of a, it's going to be hard to just pull him off the field all the time because we got this guy that's just really good. I mean, if we, let's say we got a Justin Jefferson, we're talking a top 10 talent in the NFL. Extremely unlikely, but let's just say, I mean, there's no question he's going to be on the field most of the time, but it's hard to take Lazard off. And yeah, you could do three wide receivers, but I don't think you want to pigeonhole your own playbook. Like, I, I want to run this, but I can't because I, I want to keep both of these guys on the field or whatever, so we got to rip out half my play. You know, it's a good problem to have, but that would be the only complication. So I, I agree to a point that at some point you you get a lot of guys that just aren't going to win the job, and so you are kind of just looking for, for other guys that have this skill set or that skill set that are, I guess, gadgety. But I do think if we get first or second round guys, the goal is... Just really good wide receivers that solidly take that number two spot. And I don't think that that's that big of a uh, of a thing, I guess. I don't know. I'm not so high on MVS and Lazaro that it's like there's no way they could lose the job. But anyways, he transitions to his main question, and he wants to know how big of an impact did Dylan have on people getting open? He says, I know I'm not imagining things when I saw every defense in the NFL key in on Dylan every time he was in the backfield. Now, I don't have numbers on this, but I can confirm that I at least remember the exact same thing that you, you're you saying. Um, I tried to check next-gen stats in terms of how many times the box was stacked against him, but he didn't have enough snaps to be on you know on the list, so I guess I don't know. But I do remember commenting on that. I do remember it was almost as if he was like a decoy, especially, and this is where it gets kind of exciting, when Aaron Jones and, and A.J. Dillon were on the field together. I remember they would be in the backfield together. They would usually split out Aaron Jones, and Rodgers would typically end up throwing the ball on some kind of a read because everybody's keying in on Dylan. Again, this this is just my recollection. And so I'm not going to say it definitively, but it, it 100%, because I remember being shocked, like, dude, the guy's a rookie. Like, he hasn't even proven himself yet. This guy might be trash. Why are you guys key? Because I remember being mad because it's like, I want to watch him run. I want to see what this guy can do. But you never got the opportunity because they just would not let him run anywhere. And so he would get like five yards, and it was a great run because there was nowhere to go. He was getting hit in the backfield and still getting five yards out of it, which is part of the reason why he graded out so well. But it was just, it was annoying because it was like, guys, give the guy a chance to at least beat you first before you panic. But it was like, it was right away, teams seemed to panic about A.J. Dillon right out of the gate. It was also why it was frustrating why the Packers didn't give him a lot of opportunities. So as far as you know, how could that help, or does that help? What was specifically the question? What kind of an impact did he have on people getting open? Again, I don't know because it's 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 a recollection I have that I I can't I could just be entirely wrong about. But there's no question if that's a thing, and and the run game in general, if that's a thing, it's going to create a lot of opportunities because there's only so many guys on the field, and the more energy you dedicate to not letting the guys in the backfield hurt you, the more opportunity the other guys are going to have to get open down the field. You know, I mean, that's that's the whole concept behind play action is you cause these linebackers and corners to hesitate. Safeties, right? You get them to bite up. So we'll see. I, it's definitely something that I want to keep an eye on because, I, I again, I specifically remember that same thing where I was like, why are they more scared of A.J. Dillon than they are of Aaron Jones? They just seem petri- petrified. Like, if he's on the field, and maybe it was just, maybe it had more to do with the fact that when Aaron Jones, or when A.J. Dillon was on the field, they knew it was a run play. In their mind, it's like, th- this guy doesn't know how to go out and run routes. He doesn't know how to pass block. They're putting him out there to run. So we're we're just going to assume that's what it is. We're going to call your, not even a bluff, but we're going to take a shot in the dark here and assume it's a run play and just just go all out. That is possible. So again, it's it's one of those things where it's like, I don't really have enough information to, to be able to speculate on that. But yeah, very obviously, if, if they're keying in on... Whether it's Dylan or Jones or whoever, that's going to help the, the passing game tremendously. By the way, he's requesting Coach Hahn do a video on that. So if you have any interest, Coach, in making my rambling sound intelligent, that'd be great. A uh, question from Eric John Anderson in the Facebook group. He says, is it wrong of me to put a ton of weight into bench press metric for players' pro days? I loved Lindsley because the man could bench press a house, but that strength is something he earned. He worked for it. I believe that the D-line O-line should be putting up 30 or more reps. Alex Leatherwood, offensive tackle out of Alabama, and potential first-round selection put up 20 reps. Jamar Chase, wide receiver out of LSU, put up 23. I know that combine numbers aren't the be-all, end-all, but come on. In what world should a wide receiver be putting up more reps than an offensive tackle? I really want to agree with you because I'm, I'm on the exact same page. I mean, in other words, my, my default is to think exactly—I I loved Lindsley for the exact same reason. When I heard how many bench reps he did, I was like, dude, that guy's going to kill people. I want him to be our center so bad. And he was great. And yeah, if, if you see an offensive lineman that that can't outbench wide receivers and uh, other guys that shouldn't even—you know, who cares if they can bench? That's pretty rough. I mean, the whole point of being this big, massive human being is that you're, you're, you're real strong, you know? Um, I, I'm not going to say it doesn't mean anything. But I'll, I'll at least for offensive and defensive line, and in defensive line is probably even more important because pushing people is kind of part of what you do. I guess they both kind of push. They just push in opposite directions. But I, I kind of see it in terms of like speed, like 40 time for a wide receiver. If you're stru- super strong, it's not going to hurt. But I do think a lot of what these guys do has more to do with technique. You know, it's, it's similar to like martial arts where it's, you know, if you look at jujitsu or whatever, I mean, you can work out if you want, and it's not going to hurt your ability to kind of throw somebody to the ground. It'll probably help a little bit, but at the end of the day, it's really about technique and leverage and angles and all that kind of stuff. And I think it's kind of the same with offensive line. I mean, just just to exaggerate the point, go out and get a power lifter. Go out and get some somebody that's, you know, benching 500 pounds. Put him out on the defensive line and see if he can push Alex Leatherwood out of the way. Now, in terms of just pure strength— the guy that can bench 500 should be able to push Alex Leatherwood out of the way. But the point is, Alex Leatherwood has trained in the art of pushing people out of the way. And there is an art to it. And there is a way of of, of doing it that is about technique. And the fact of the matter is, he would absolutely embarrass the power lifter. He just would. It, it's not just about straight line uh, strength. The other example would be um, arm wrestling. You would think that that's purely about raw power. But you'll find guys that have like chicken arms that will absolutely annihilate some guys that have just massive bulging muscles and you think how is that even possible because it's isolated down to just a couple muscles and if you just pull on those muscles as hard as you possibly can there's no way that guy with almost no muscle tone is going to stop this guy with raw power that does nothing but contract muscles there's no way he's going to be able to stop him and actually move that arm back the other way but he does and he will and if you got somebody who's very very good at arm wrestling, and some of these guys are are pretty jacked, right? They they've got massive muscles. There's no question about it. But some of them do not. You know, John Brazink, who is a legendary arm wrestler, he's not really jacked. You know, if you look at uh, what goes by the name of Schoolboy, he's kind of a younger guy. He he doesn't really have bulging muscles. I mean, he's got pretty big arms, big forearm or whatever, but he annihilates people. He's not that big. I mean, it, it really just comes down to technique. And I think the the first guy that comes to mind when you talk about the bench. Is uh, Orlando Brown. Orlando Brown had one of the worst just workouts ever. He ran the 40 time in 5.85. He was almost six seconds. The slowest of any player at at the event. He posted 14 reps on the bench. Orlando Brown, offensive lineman. And the whole point about Orlando Brown is he is just as unmovable massive human being. I mean, people looked at him and said, he doesn't really have a lot of technique, but the power he has is unbelievable. Like you cannot get through this guy. And so this guy that you say, who's not very technical, but is strong, puts up 14 reps on the bench. And you're thinking, "Um, but he, I guess he's not strong and he's not athletic. Like this guy's going to get killed. He's a fantastic offensive lineman. Very, very, very good offensive lineman. The Ravens are possibly about to lose him because he's their right tackle and orlando's like no i want to be a left tackle it's a whole thing but he's fantastic i mean he is really really good because he's i mean he's just a good offensive tackle that's just what he is and again it's very similar in my mind to 40 time and wide receiver. it's not going to hurt to be fast but at the end of the day there's an art to being a wide receiver devontae adams is not the fastest guy on the field i would say probably most of the time he's going up against corners that are faster than him and in about every game, he's going to get behind somebody. He's going to run away from somebody. And it seems like that shouldn't make sense, but it's, it's exactly what it is. When you draft an offensive tackle, you, you want a guy that is a master in the art of offensive tackling. If you draft a wide receiver, you want somebody who is a master in the art of wide receivering. And that's why we get too caught up in 40 time and bench press and all this kind of stuff. And again, there's nothing wrong with it. And, and, and I have. there's absolutely nothing wrong with loving a guy because he's just a powerhouse human being. That's awesome. But you can have mauling guys that just don't really kill it in the 40 time. They're just mean and aggressive and violent, and that's just what they do. And, you know, maybe they put up 22 reps in the bench. Whatever. I mean, again, you can like a guy for whatever reason, but just don't get too caught up in this means they're going to be good and this means they're going to be bad. There is an art form to it. There is a it's just it's a skill. It's, it's just like anything else. You know, I mean, you you think about guys that play guitar, you you think about giant hands. You know, if you got really big hands, it's going to help you. Jimi Hendrix had massive hands. You know, Steve Vai, his fingers are just like ridiculous. It helps. But I'm not going to look at a guy with, you know, smaller hands and be like, this guy's going to suck so bad. He's going to just suck. You know, look at Jeff Healy. The guy's blind. (laughs) He's an amazing guitar player. And I don't know the first thing about his finger size. I just know he's blind and he's amazing. At the end of the day, we really just have to get to the point where we're looking at guys that are just masterful at what they do. They're masterful at their craft, and if they run fast, that's cool. That helps. If they jump high, nice. If they bench a lot, cool. And 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 to be fair, it is pretty widely accepted that bench is probably the most useless of all of all the exercises. Most of the uh, the scouts and whatnot they said it basically if you bench a lot, it just means you're a gym rat. Because it, because again that's that's a, that's very similar kind of thing that you train for. I mean, look at the end of the day, twenty reps at two twenty five, which I think is what they bench. That's you got to be pretty strong to do that. I think at my strongest, back when I was like eighteen and worked out all the time, I did. I think it was like two sixty twice. Like that was like my my best bench. I was pretty proud of that. So at two twenty five, what what could I maybe do? Like maybe five? You got wide receivers doing five that are like one hundred and eighty five pounds, and it's like that guy's a twerp, man. That, I mean, that's, dude, that's, that's, that's a big deal. That's, you're, you're relatively strong. I mean, just in, in the broad sense of like the American, like you just grab a random dude off the street. I mean, could he do 225? I would guess if you grabbed a random guy, that's, you know, say 24 years old, especially today, I I would say there's almost no chance, but, but again, it's, 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 it's a thing you have to train for. And if you're throwing it up 30 plus times, yes, you're incredibly strong. But you're incredibly strong at benching because it's a specific thing that you train for really, really hard. So he is he it means he's good in the art of benching. I want to know, is he masterful in the art of defensive tackling or offensive guarding? That makes sense. So anyways, Uh, we'll do one more question before we take a break. This uh, comes from Mark Musgrave on Twitter. Um, He says, I think it's a common misconception for analysts to think we trade up to 21. But what about 16? Arizona... Arizona only has five picks in the draft, as well as Indy, who I believe has six. With all these vet signings, Arizona could use more young talent, and there's always the chance that J.C. Horn, Christian Barmore, maybe Patrick Sertan. Just my thoughts, but I think it's a good spot to be in. Um, I mean, from a strictly hypothetical standpoint, would Arizona be interested in possibly trading back? Possibly. There are teams that don't have a lot of picks that could use a lot of picks. My biggest concern is the fact that we also could use a lot of picks. When you're in cap trouble, the best way to fix that is with young, cheap talent. But we'll roll with it. First of all, just looking at the trade chart here, getting up to 16 is going to cost, at a bare minimum, a second round pick. It would probably be a second round pick and a fourth, which is, I mean, brutal, absolutely brutal. So you'd have to talk to me about a guy that would be worth giving up that much, and I can tell you right now there's nobody I would want that badly. The other issue is the guys that you named are top-of-the-class corners for the most part, and Arizona needs corners more than anything. If Patrick Sertan is there or J.C. Horn is there, I see very little chance, unless they just don't like those guys, that they would pass on them. That's their number one need is a corner. And so even if they did want to move back a little bit – because maybe there's a ton of options that they like. I don't think they want to move all the way back to 29 because then none of those guys are available. I mean, you're probably going to miss out on Greg Newsom. You might miss out on Asante Samuel. I don't I don't really know who's going to be available, but you're, you're missing out on a lot of guys. And um, as far as Barmore, I don't know if we'd need to move all that way up there for Barmore. And I, and again, I just, I wouldn't want to. I don't think he's worth a our first, our second, and our fourth. I don't think any of these guys are. Maybe Patrick Sertan. But even so, it's like, I just, I don't think it's that big of a of a, of a a need. We have a number one, possibly the best corner in all of football already. I'm not opposed to getting a, just a dominant number two cornerback, but taking a shot in the dark of getting the best corner in the draft by giving up our first, second, and fourth is is too much for me. Um, not sure what you mean by the first part as far as a common misconception thinking we traded to 21. Is that what most people think we're going to do? I know a lot of people have been having the Packers trade up because it's been a trend. I've seen that a lot in the media where they talk about, um, you know, the Packers have done it the last three years in a row or whatever, so they're going to do it again, and this time they're going to go here. But even to get up to 21 with Indy, I think that would cost probably a second round pick. And so, I again, I just don't think there's anybody that's worth that. You know, the, Barmore, the only reason Barmore would make sense is because there's not a lot of other options. There's a ton of corners that, that are really talented, and a lot of them are in the second round. Um, wide receivers, same thing. Yeah, it'd be cool to get Bateman or, or Tony or whatever if you think they're not going to be there, but there's going to be talented wide receivers sitting there, not just at 29, but probably at 62 as well. So it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see if they want to move up. It's, it's hard to try to think who they would trade up for, though, because again, you got to take the whole picture into account and sort of do a would you rather. Would you rather have Rashad Bateman or get Kadarius Tony and uh, Quinn Miners in the second? I'm just kind of looking at guys that are in that range. Or Jabril Cox or Diami. Well, it wouldn't be Diami Brown. We just got a wide receiver. Or um, whoever, right? I mean, th- there's a lot of guys in the second round that you like. And it's like, are you going to give that guy up? And well, I mean, would you trade Jabril Cox and Kadarius Toney for Rashad Bateman? No. No, I wouldn't. Would you trade Caleb Farley and Diami Brown for J.C. Horn? Mm, maybe, but no, I wouldn't. So it's just it's just hard. I mean, if you just look at it from that standpoint, what two players pick a second-round player and a late first-round player that you would trade for one of these first-round players? And if you can find that guy, then then there you go. That's your answer. I, I, I'm saying I don't think that there's anybody. Patrick Sertan would be one that's going to be hard to pass up but I don't think he's going to make it anywhere near out of the top 10. He might, but I don't think he will, and he's certainly not going to make it to 20. I think, and there's been a lot of disagreement on this, but I think he is and always has been the clear number one corner in, in college football. Um, and you, I mean, it, it, same thing with, like, Micah Parsons. You know, what about Micah? Like, I just I can't for a linebacker. I get that he's probably the clear top guy, whatever, but he's also not great in coverage, and, you know, it's a linebacker. So for me... It snows across the board. Now, I mean, you start talking about shorter jumps and giving up fourth round picks. You know, let's see, a fourth, where's our fourth? We could probably move up. That does almost nothing. You can move up to like 26. So at that point, you're moving up to get a guy that we already think that we can get. So it's not even worth doing the exercise. But you know, whatever. Anyways, why don't we take a break right here? Um, big giant, massive shout out to Mr. Douglas Larson for jumping in on Patreon. We are making some incredible progress on the goal. We need uh, 15 more patrons by the end or by the start of the NFL season to reach our goal. Really, really appreciate all the support. And also thank you very much to Mr. Kyle DeCloud for jumping in on Venmo. Really do appreciate all that. Best Packers audience ever. But if you want to jump in on that, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. There's also links in the uh, description if you want to check out some other options. Five-star iTunes reviews. Or like I said, just get some people in the Facebook group. Hit the little invite button, and uh, we'll see if we can't convert them once they get in there. By the way, thank you very much to Mr. Patrick McCain, Eric John Anderson, Josh Rabska, Brian Pekausik. Yeah, that's a rough one. Micah Olson, Justin Bratzo. Thank you guys for inviting people to the group. I think for the group we should shoot for at least fifteen hundred by the start of the season, right? We're at we're at thirteen hundred right now, thirteen oh nine. to your happy place for a happy price go to your happy price price line so since we started off the show kind of nerding out a little bit i was going to elaborate on it but i figured we should probably start talking about uh, i've been talking about star wars for like 10 minutes we should probably get into packers but um as i was talking about star wars on twitter somehow it came out about superpowers and whatnot and bruce was wondering that if I could have one superpower, what would it be? Now, if you got the impression that like I don't get into Star Wars because I'm not, you know, nerdy or whatever, that might be true to some degree. But um, it's also true that there are it's possible that on occasion I sit around and daydream about having superpowers. Now, I know I'm not entirely alone on that, but I don't know how weird <laughs> how weird that is at the age of 34 years old. But it is kind of like, especially if you're going on a walk, you know, and you got some music in your headphones or whatever. I just, I don't know. It's just, it's a very fun and relaxing exercise that just kind of, it's sort of like watching TV where you just kind of vanish from reality for a while. Now I can tell you, I've got a go-to superpower thing, but there's like three superpowers in one. And I love daydreaming about it. And it's kind of my go-to every time. But the question was, if you could have one superpower, what would it be? It's kind of weird but I, I I almost think like freezing time might be it. Like it's going to be tough cuz you can't do much when everyone's frozen. Like and I, and I wouldn't make it where like nothing else can move cuz time's like I can just move but like you know let's just let's just say there's a Brinks truck. If there's a bag of money, could I just grab it or is it like no it's it's like frozen because time is frozen? Like no, I can I can just take it. I'm not saying I would do that. I mean I 100% I would, but just one bag, just just to try, you gotta at least do it once, otherwise what are you doing? Like, I understand it's immoral and it's wrong or whatever, but the bank will figure it out. How much is it in one of those bags at a Brink's drug? Like a hundred grand? I think Chase Bank will get over it. Yes, it's a terrible thing to do, and I'll try to pay it back by doing good deeds with my time freezing. I don't know. I don't know, maybe that wouldn't be a good one. The other one that I really like, and by the way, these are, I'm, I'm just picking from the three that I, that I always use, is teleportation. That would be sweet. To just appear somewhere. You know, like, I want to be there. That I think that's going to be the one. That would be a little bit better. Like, you can't get away with as much. But, I mean, I guess I could just easily teleport into a bank vault, right? right. You just got to make sure you're all gowned up or whatever. You don't want to leave anything behind because you're probably on camera. Probably tripping some kind of alarm, so you got to get in and get out. Again, just once. Just one time. Just because I want to be in the bank vault and I want to take some money out. And, yes, I have to be able to carry stuff. And then the question is, like, can you carry people? Like, if I want to go on vacation, can I, like take my family one at a time, like grab my kid and be like, all right, we're going to teleport together. I mean, I guess it's my thing. I can make it whatever I want, but I don't want it to become like a second superpower where you get too overly broad about. But at the same time, if I can't carry stuff, what's the point? You know what I mean? Like I teleport into a bank vault, I grab a bag of money and then you teleport back and the bag of money stays. Like, no, dude, if I'm touching it, it can come with me. Then, yeah, then you take vacations and it's like, dude, I'm just going to grab my kids like one at a time. Like it's going to be a little weird, like, you know, having to put my wife on my back and teleport. But you got to do what you got to do, man. I mean, airplane tickets are expensive. Granted, I can afford it because I just, ro- just robbed a bank. But, you know, you got to sit with all the other people and maybe we'll fly back just to give the kids the experience of flying. Although I just gave them the experience of teleportation. So, you know, maybe get over it. Spoiled kids, man, I swear. But anyways, yeah, I've spent some time thinking about this stuff. By the way, the third superpower that I usually have in my, uh, which, by the way, would be a great standalone power is sort of like a, it's kind of like mind reading, but it's more, it's more like Google. Like my brain can kind of do, I, I can kind of like if you search on Google, but it actually knows literally everything, maybe not so much like facts or whatever, but like what's going on. Like I want to know where somebody is, you know, there's, there's a, somebody has on the most wanted list. I know where they are. I don't know what you'd call that superpower, but that's, that's like the thing. And so you think about it, you couple that with like time freezing and whatnot. And you can also like program your brain to just like know certain things. So if somebody's coming after me, because obviously I'm getting involved in all kinds of stuff and people, people want, there's a bounty on my head. Somebody tries to shoot me, time freezes. And I'm like, what's going on? Why time freezing? And I turn around, and I see a bullet there and I'm like, oh, all right. And then I teleport out of the way, even though I could just walk because time froze, but you got to use the powers. I mean, what are, what are you having for if you're not going to use them? Then you get out of the way. So. That's that's the third one. But also, like, if people are plotting against you, I could teleport to their meeting and be like, what are you all talking about? You're not talking about me, are you? And they're like, no. And then they just walk out. And I could do something to them, but it's like, that's, that's, that's such a power move to just be like, what's up, guys? Like, nothing, never mind. Then they leave. Anyways, getting back to it. Also, just out of curiosity, show of hands. Let's just say that that little conversation I had with myself that you listened to about superpowers was a separate podcast. Is that something that sounds interesting to you? Let me know. All right. More and more and more questions. Got a question via text, and I don't think I have your, your name. But it says, there was a lot of excitement when Reggie Bagleton was signed. Now that he has been in the Packers system for a while, would he be considered a better prospect than a late day three pick? Thanks. Oh, there you go. Nabisco Joe. I'll have to put that on my phone. Look, I, th- I think a lot of people are going to agree with you. But you got to understand, I was on the anti bagleton train last year. He was, I mean, he... he kind of came out of nowhere, and Packer fans lost their mind. Like, this guy's going to be the guy. He's going to be so good. You just wait and watch. I said all last year, like, no, he's not. He's not going to be very good. So if you're asking me, now that he has a year in the system, which, to be fair, you're doing what? Not much. But yeah, he's been there for a while. He knows the playbook a little bit more. Do I think he's going to be a legit player? No, I still don't think he's going to make the team or make the active roster. I just, I just I've, I've never been on that train, I guess. Maybe he will. It's, it's not impossible. But I mean, when you get to that point in my mind, you could say that about literally anybody. You know, what about Malik Taylor? Is it possible? Yeah. What about Joann Winfrey? Is it po- Yeah, I, sure. I mean, it's not going to happen. They're not going to be number twos. But I mean, can we daydream about it? And, you know, is there like a 1% chance? Sure, I'll give you the 1%. But um, I, I just... You know, I, 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 I again, I was out and this happens with all all the pro- I mean, there, there are still people at a large section of the fan base that that get mad when you put down Marquez Valdez Scantling because they're like, dude, you got to give him time. Like, the, the, you guys are nuts, man. You guys are crazy. He's a super talented wide receiver. He just needs time. Like, you guys know it's been three years, right? Like how much how many? What? OK. All right. Yeah. OK, we'll do this again. Because it, it happens every year. Like, MVS wasn't great, and it's like, well, it's been one year. Give him time. And then the second year, it's like, okay, well, now it's been two years. He hasn't gotten better at all. Still the same guy. Why? Well, he needs time. It's only been two years. Uh, okay, okay. Now, after three years, still nothing has changed. Still the same guy. It's like, well, uh, well uh, yeah, okay. What about Devontae? You, you, we gave him time, and look what happened. Like, okay. <laughs> Guys, you guys are being silly, but all right. So it, it happens with everybody, so I guess we'll do it with Reggie Bagleton, too, right? I thought I won that battle. I thought I, I had, you know, was victorious. I was the, you know, on the side of Reggie Begleton is not going to be a dominant wide receiver. And I faced a lot of heat and then he wasn't. And it's like, all right, I win. And you know, some people are like, no, 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 no. He needs time. Like, all right. Sure. So yeah, maybe, but no, it's, it's just, I don't think so. I mean, you factor in MVS maybe getting better in year four or Lazard getting even better. You know, I mean, if we're going to talk about a maybe, what about maybe Equinemius? What about maybe Devin Funches? The odds that Reggie Begelton rises above all of those guys on top of any possible wide receivers we're drafting, which I'm, I'm going to assume we're drafting at least one. Maybe it's not until the fifth round. I don't know. But um, I just, I don't think that there's, there's anything there. I'll call it an accomplishment if he's on the 53, which is far from anything that I'm willing to assume. Uh, Jake Hoffer says, I see a lot of mocks with us drafting a corner first, and I feel like we have other position groups that could use a first-round talent more than DB. I think we probably have the best starting DB group as a whole in the league. I think that's fair. I think that the bigger issue, it's it's a it's a little bit talent. It's mostly depth, though. Um, as, as a lot of people have pointed out, as of next year, Jair is the—I mean, assuming we sign him, I think he's the only, um, you know, give Jair an extension or whatever, a new contract. He's the only one that's going to be under contract. And so there's a very serious need to get probably multiple corners in this draft. Now, to your point, do we need a true dominant number one? No, we have Jair. So if you can just get a, a solid contributor. Now, you don't want to wait too long because, again, we have almost nobody. So you know you're going to have a bunch of scrubs. We we have some carryovers from, from our team now. You know, we will hang on to you know, Kadar or Stanford Samuels or, you know, so we'll have a couple guys floating around, but you want to have at least one other guy that's that's somewhat good, ideally. And so, you know, it's, it's a little bit about 2022, but I think it's more about beyond 2020 or excuse me, it's a little bit about 2021, but mostly about beyond that. Because I think partially to your point, if we draft a guy, I don't know that it's automatic he takes Kevin King's spot. In fact, I think it's a real uphill battle. He's going to have to be really, really good because there's still the learning curve. As much as I've been saying I'm not a fan of Kevin King and he is he's worse than you guys think, I still think it's an uphill battle to take his job because he knows what his job is. He's been there a long time. He's been a pro for a long time. He's played against some of the best wide receivers in the country. He's got a ton of experience under his belt. He's got a ton of knowledge in his head about what to do, when to do it, how to do it, all that stuff. His execution might not be on point, but there's a massive trust factor there with Kevin King that's not going to exist with a rookie. So if you can get a guy that's, that, you know, maybe he plays a little bit more on the slot, that's beneficial. But at the same time, you're kind of looking at in 2022, we're going to need a legit guy outside because it's not going to be Kevin King. At least we really don't want it to be. So, yeah, it's possible we draft a guy that's decent but uh, doesn't play very much and Packer fans lose their minds. Oh, you can't even beat out Kevin King. This is pathetic. Gutekun needs to be fired. Blah, 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 blah. Another bust. Another failure. It's like, no, dude, it's just he doesn't know his job as well as Kevin King. If we didn't have Kevin King, they'd just throw him out there and be like, you got to learn it on the fly. But if you don't need to learn it on the fly, you don't have to learn it on the fly. And he'll just be a rotational guy and whatever. Same thing that happened with Rashawn Gary. Like He's a bust because he didn't play. No, Preston and Zedarius are the reason he didn't play. If we didn't have Preston and Zedarius in front of him, he'd have played every snap. It's a learning curve. The other negative about having such a good team is that young guys don't play as much. Other teams that are terrible, you draft guys and they're playing. Because we just don't have good football players anywhere. So especially first, second, third round guys, and then some of the later guys, it's, you know, 50-50. If you're a fourth round pick, you you might be starting, maybe not, I don't know. So is it massively dire? I, I think it's important. Could you get away with, you know, we, we've we had that tradition of kind of going, getting like three guys at once. Like if you get like a, you know, we had that run on running backs. We've had runs on wide receivers. We had runs on offensive linemen. You know, when we had this past year, three offensive linemen in a row. When we had uh, Jamal and Aaron Jones and the other guy that I forget. When we had MVS and EQ and Jamon, right? We, we do that where we triple up. I think corner could be a decent group to triple up on. Because again, you don't need that elite number one guy, but you do need quite a bit of depth. So if we were to n- neglect corner and then let's say you go uh like pick 174, 179 and 215 or 143, 174, 179, fourth and two-fifths or two-fifths and a sixth and just triple up. Then it's it's very similar to offensive line where it's like we just kind of need one of them to pan out. And if the other guys are our backups or slots or whatever like cool, that's that'll work. We just need to kind of reload the position. So e- either way, I guess, cuz it cuz it is somewhat of a depth problem and again, we're we're kind of The bigger urgency is 2022, more so than 2021, although we could use some help for sure. All right, we'll end this with a couple of names that J.J. threw at us. I don't have a ton of time, so I'll try to do it rapid fire. But um, he says, Trayvon Grimes, Tommy Tremble, Rodarius Williams, Elijah Mitchell, Paris Ford. Thoughts on any of these guys? I sort of rank them from most interesting to least for me since five names is kind of a lot. Well, if that was from most interesting to least interesting, I guess we'll do it in reverse order and kind of build our way up. So we'll start with Paris Ford. I think part of the reason Paris Ford is interesting, if I'm not mistaken, he was definitely a lot higher up. I'm kind of surprised now seeing where he is. Granted, I haven't heard his name in a long time, and that's probably for a reason. Uh, Right now on the... Oh, yeah. Steep nosedive. So back in January, he was at 63. Started to take a big tumble right around mid-February. And it's just been like a downward slope and has just crashed and bottomed out at about 144 right now. PFF actually has him as a seventh round slash undrafted free agent. So he's a safety out of Pitt, 6'1", 90, 22, going on 23 years old. Spent three years at Pittsburgh, graded out decently, somewhere between average and good, I guess. Primarily played uh, strong safety, kind of somewhat surprisingly, up until 2020, he was actually a terrible tackler. 2020 was his strongest asset. 2018 and 19, it was his biggest weakness. Um, I think the biggest thing that gets people most excited about paris ford is the way he plays although he's only 190 pounds he's just he's kind of reckless right he's violent he's he's very unafraid which is it could be a problem right if you're violent and reckless at 190 pounds you're probably on your way to injury but you know tons of heart very physical um and again the tackling issues seem to have gone away in 2020 2019 he missed 21 tackles which is just absurd uh, the bottom line they put on Paris Ford, it says, Ford plays the game the way you wish every player would. That's what you want in a safety. So again, it's it's sort of the heart and the passion and the uh, whatever. But he's going to give you 110% on every play. As far as negatives they got here, he's super skinny, six foot 190 pounds. Injury is certainly an issue with his play style. Um, unimpressive hip flip when aligned deep. Better around the line of scrimmage at this moment. So he's sort of more of a, you know, again, he, he's physical. And if it was kind of in a phone booth, that'd be great. But you also have to have the athleticism and the know-how and the react, the reaction ability, the read and react ability to be able to make plays, and he doesn't seem to have that. Says average speed for the position, eyes get caught in the backfield, takes bad angles. So you know he's got a lot of heart, but is he a good football player? And does he have the right build? Is sort of the problem. Um, Elijah Mitchell on the consensus board is 225th. PFF is actually a little higher on him. They have a sixth round grade on him. He is a running back for the Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns, 5'11", 218 pounds. So he fits the uh, Brian Gutekunst mold, that's for sure. Seems to be just kind of a straight-up running back. You know, I mean, if you just look at his his grades, he's graded out real well, four years. I mean, again, small school, so it doesn't mean as much. But um, his overall grade, 77, 83, 86, 85, I mean, that's solid. Never really graded out very well as a receiver, except, I guess, in 2018. But it was never a strength. Not a great pass blocker, not a great run blocker. But his run grade has been phenomenal for four years straight. So I mean, he's got a good build. He he runs well. He's definitely a zone guy. Um, his zone grade is an 86. His gap grade is a 69. So I mean, that's that's you know decent fit for the Packers at least, and most NFL teams. Uh, very high elusiveness rating. Very elusive. Gets a ton of yards after the contact. Um, and then if you just look at the bottom line, it says Mitchell tucks a, t- ticks a ton of boxes, but his level of competition is concerning. So that's that's kind of the issue, right? He runs all over guys that are just not very good um but but again i mean it's do you have the tools right he's got the right build he's got the speed he's got the burst he's got the consistency decent footwork but you know i think the biggest thing with with a new competition level is the speed you know you you can probably lose a half a step in at that level of competition and still be able to make stuff happen you can process a little bit slower and be able to to really dominate whereas at the nfl level things happen so fast so He could be getting a great player. He might just not even be NFL ready. I don't know. That's going to be up to, I guess, the scouts to kind of do what they get paid to do and analyze, does this guy have it? Rodarius Williams, cornerback out of Oklahoma State, currently at about 145 on the consensus board. PFF has him as a fifth round prospect. He is 24 and a half years old. So, I mean, he's going to be 25 this year, which is automatically pretty concerning. Um, He did spend four years at Oklahoma State. 2020 was definitely a breakout year for him. Six foot 195, if I haven't said that yet. So he's, he's kind of been, so over his four years, his grades 65, 74, 65, 80. Um, 78 run defense grade, 88 tackling grade, 80 coverage grade. Just pretty dominant at his in his fourth year. Uh, lowest passer rating of his career, 71.1. Didn't have any interceptions, but didn't allow any touchdowns and did have six pass breakups. Uh, the Quick and Dirty from PFF says, Williams' 2020 tape was decidedly different from what we saw the rest of his career. He can start early for man-heavy teams. Now, I you know. I don't think that means he can't play zone. In fact, his, his zone grade was similarly as high. His man grade was actually higher. But I think that's a benefit, right? It's it's hard to find really good man cover corners, and he can do it, which is massively to his benefit. And you got teams that play more man. The pickings are a little bit slim, so this is a guy that could actually go a little bit earlier just based on that. Uh, pros and cons, man corner athletic traits plus mirror uh, speed ability. Looked like a different player as a tackler in 2020, not one miss. One of the most tested corners in the class, four-year starter with 212 career targets. Very patient, rare to see him biting hard on double moves. The negatives, not a physical presence, finesse corner who can get out muscled. Locating the ball has been a consistent issue. He loses a catch point too often, average ball production over his career. Two picks, 27 pass breakups on 1,600 snaps. Very, very old for a prospect who'll turn 25 in September. Tommy Tremble, who's actually extremely popular, uh, which is kind of surprising. Tight end out of Notre Dame is currently sitting at around 100, so third-ish round pick. That's where PFF has him as a third-round prospect. The thing that's weird about Tommy Tremble, and I guess I can see it from Packer fans, but the fact that a lot of people are excited about him is weird because he's actually a terrible receiver. But he's an elite run blocker. So he I mean, he is a throwback. Um, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if the Packers are extremely interested because you've heard Mercedes Lewis say teams just don't want him anymore. The Packers are like the only team in the NFL that still want what he does. So we could probably get Tommy Tremble um, you know, if we got him at the back of the third. I don't even know that we couldn't get him later, just because how many teams want a guy that is a terrible receiver but a great blocker? I mean, every team could use it to some degree, but what what value are they going to put on it? Is anybody going to take him in the fourth round? You think? I mean, I even for a team that really wants that, I have a hard time getting super excited about it. I mean, as a third round prospect, a guy that can't catch very well, but six four, two forty two, two years at Notre Dame. Um, his receiving grades have been a 61 and a 63. Pass blocking grade went from a 38 to a 74. So he's massively improved that. His run blocking 84 and 80 uh, 84, I guess 85 and 84 for rounding. And massive benefit. He's not even 21 years old yet. So incredibly young. Um, just a dominant blocker, which is going to be fun. I mean, you put him on the field with with the Green Bay Packers. You know, get a couple extra offensive linemen. You got A.J. Dillon on the field, who's just a big, violent presence. You get Tommy Tremble, who's a big, violent presence. Uh, you got Alan Lazard next to Tommy Tremble, and I mean, we're just we're just bullying people. I like that. Now, again, he he loses a ton of value because he's just not a great receiver, but it, you know, it is what it is. Uh, If we look at the bottom line here, it says, In the right scheme, Tremble could easily take the torch from Kyle Juszczyk as the league's best fullback. So there's an option there to kind of take that mantle, I guess. Which could be a kind of a fun thing. I know we've got uh, Josiah Deguara who kind of fits that mold. But I think it's from a different, it would be similar position but entirely different at the same time. Josiah Deguara comes at it from a standpoint of being more of a receiver. Tommy Tremble would be a fullback that's just a smash-you-in-the-mouth blocker. But uh, pros and cons, unmatched, want to as a run blocker, five big-time blocks in 2020, legit speed and explosiveness flies off the line, elite locating in space in the run game like a predator stalking its prey. That's got to get you excited. Now now I like the guy. That's just awesome. Cons, tremendous blocker, but still struggles with NFL power in line at his size. Afterthought in the past game, 31 fewer targets than Notre Dame's freshman tight end, which is staggering not as reliable a hands as you'd like the position, five drops on 40 catchable uh, passes, not particularly agile or shifty, may not ever be complete route runner, which, again, you look at fullback, it's starting to make a little bit more sense. I mean, the guy, he's, I hate to say useless, but useless as a right wide receiver. Tons of drops, terrible route runner. He does have an 80% contested catch rate, which is uh, pretty cool. But, um, I mean, he's just, he's a blocker. That's what he is. So, it's interesting. It could be fun. And, and just blowing open holes for, for Aaron Jones and, and A.J. Dillon is just, it's fun to picture. Finally, Trayvon, uh, Trayvon Grimes, wide receiver out of Florida, currently sitting at 211 on the consensus board. PFF doesn't even have him ranked. I think they have 300 prospects. The only time he's on here was for his senior bowl ability. Um, they gave him a pretty bad grade on 14 snaps. 14 snaps, he allowed six receptions, one touchdown. It um, says there was one drop. I don't know if that's his drop or the wide receiver dropped it or what. But uh, they gave him a one grade. So it, I guess it's better than average. Like zero, I think, is average. One would be slightly better than that. But it's it's in red, so it doesn't look great. Or like a pinkish. It's a light red. So that's all I got from that standpoint. If we go to PFF and, uh, on the actual website or whatever. Um, first year was at Ohio State, which is maybe why you are interested in it. Then three years at Florida. So he was pretty bad at Ohio State. Didn't play very much, but then transferred um, his grades, very inconsistent, 73, 61 and 70. So two kind of good years and whatever. Oh, I'm an idiot. Why did I think he was a cornerback? Probably because I'm looking at Florida. So now that makes sense. So he's a wide receiver. I just assumed for some reason he was a corner. I thought I must've been thinking of somebody else. I was like, wait a minute, what are these grades? Where is his passer rating and all that stuff? So as a receiver, the, the grades basically followed identically, 72, 65 and 70, um, 22 years old. So, you know, whatever um the statistically he's gotten a little bit better every single year um 364 yards 491 yards 589 yards so and then he went from two three to nine touchdowns so he got almost 600 yards and nine touchdowns and i think that the thing that's interesting now that i know he's a wide receiver 6'4 218 he's a big body guy does not have a lot of drops i mean he's he does a good job with with that about 23 percent of the time he's been in the slot so he's done a ton of that he's actually not a terrible blocker Contested catch rate is nowhere near what you want for a six foot four guy. It's 34%. But a career passer rating when targeted of 129, he actually got up to almost 137 in 2020. So, in my mind, what I think Trayvon Grimes brings to the Packers would be another guy that is that we have seven of already on this team. Now, it's not to say he can't be better, but it's just he's a giant, massive human being that you hope can be a dominant, massive human being like Reggie Begelton, like MVS, like Equinimius, like Malik Taylor. Like like every other six foot four, five, six, you know wide receiver we've had on this team, um that everybody's gonna get super excited about because you know he's six, four to eighteen. he's a big dude. He got you know again, nine touchdowns in Florida in 2020. so you picture him being like this big tight end that's just unbeatable in the red zone actually was a pretty consistent deep target. Usually you don't see the percentages very high, but thirty percent of his passes came on short routes or under ten yards. 27% between 10 and 19 and 20% 27% on deep passes. So it's pretty consistent. Um, but he was 6 of 16 for 202 yards and three touchdowns, 93 overall grade on, on deep passes. So, I mean, he he would compete for that, that guy that the Packers have been trying to get for a while. Um, as far as his blocking, he had a, a really good pass blocking grade, which is kind of unusual. Um, as far as his run blocking, it hasn't been great the past two years, but at Ohio State and his first year in Florida, he actually graded out quite well. And and he's got a, a, a ton of opportunities, but it kind of fell off the last two years. So maybe he's got it, maybe he doesn't. I don't know. But that's that's kind of the vibe I'm getting is he's gonna be with the pile of six foot four wide receivers, hoping to be somewhat decent. But anyways, I gotta get going. You folks, have yourselves a fantastic Monday. Yeah, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye bye.